Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having with me Karen Hebert Macaro. And today, we're going to talk about the future of business education. I think Karen is uniquely qualified to speak on this topic because she has looked at built and scaled business education from a number of diverse perspectives, whether that's in the corporate uh, landscape itself, in higher education, into now what she's doing with Morning Brew and specifically Learning Brew. Karen now is the GM of education at Morning Brew and has some things brewing, no pun intended, but we're going to start talk to her a little bit about what she is seeing and what she is thinking just in terms of the future of business education and what are some exciting things that are happening both in the industry as well as with Morning Brew. So first and foremost, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation because I love talking about these things. And before we talk shop, I would just love to learn a little bit about you. Because you have such a storied history in learning, I figured I'd start with a warm-up question for you of thinking back to maybe childhood, whether that was middle school or high school, what was your favorite subject in school? <laughs> well, Al, thanks for having me on the podcast. Super excited to be here. And this is an easy one because I've had a universal favorite subject throughout all my years of school, and I have done a lot of schooling. And that is English uh, literature and creative writing. It started when I was quite young in middle school, when I became really interested in sort of different types of poetry and different types of historical uh, novels and playwrights. And it went all the way through to my undergraduate degree, where I was an English and uh, rhetoric major. And even to today, when I take courses just for fun or upskill or level up in any way, I often look for things that include creative writing components and other ways in which I can learn from reading and writing and digesting. So I, I was absolutely in the English camp. The English uh, it was my English was my favorite subject and, and anything related to writing was always something I enjoyed doing. That's so great to see the through line throughout your journey, going back to your childhood, whether it was through uh, school, then to college, and certainly what you do now. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so as I teased down in the beginning, uh, you have such a great perspective in general on business education because you've seen it from a couple different lenses. You worked in corporate, you worked in higher education, now you're at Morning Brew, and you've had a number of innovative roles at places like Babson College, which is one of the, in my opinion, one of the leading innovators and has been for a long time in business education, and certainly at O'Reilly Media. And I guess maybe just to start, I would love to know from you what you've learned about how people want to learn. I know it's a little bit of a meta question, but <laughs> you've seen learners from a number of different perspectives. And I would love to know just from your own perspective, how do people want to learn? How do people want to engage and grow uh, within the realm of business education? Yeah, sure. It's a really, really interesting question because you're right. I have had the privilege really of working in a variety of different contexts. And yet the common theme throughout all of my 
uh, different roles over the course of my career really has been helping individuals and organizations grow. And that is a, you know, a learning process. And so one of the things that I have found is there is certain universality in what people want um, or how they want to engage with learning opportunities, with growth opportunities. And these things include the the context in which people are going to learn and engage with content. And so a lot of times, you know, you think about experiences such as maybe your undergraduate degree, or you think about your MBA classroom, or you think about a course you may have taken online since you've graduated. It's not just the learning itself that's important, the skills you might have gained, but it's the interactions that you've had with the instructors or the experts or the students. And so one universal theme for me is that people like to learn in social environments. They like to learn with other people. And that can be distributed, you know, meaning it can be facilitated through technology or it could be co-located in, in sort of in a physical space. But the reality is, is that we are social creatures and we learn better when we can discuss and we can engage and bounce ideas off of and other folks. And so, you know, that's one universal truth, regardless of, you know, sort of level or context that I've worked in. Another universal truth, I think, to the way people want to learn has to do with relevance. We are becoming a society more and more, I think, especially in the United States, might be true across the world as well, where, you know, the utility of learning is somewhat important. Right? And by the way, this is coming from a person who has done, you know, an undergrad at a master's and a PhD. I love learning for learning's sake. Like I'm an autodidact. I'll learn, I'll teach myself all sorts of things from serious topics like Greek literature to like how to yo-yo. I'll learn lots of things, but learning for learning's sake is sort of put all in a different category. When people are looking to invest in their own learning and growth, when they want to do something in the business education space, they want it to be really have utility. They want it to be applied to their work. They want to feel like it's highly relevant. The more relevant the work is, um, the learning is, excuse me, to their work, the better. Because, you know, learning for such a purpose makes it, one, easier to learn because the motivation is there. If you can become better at your job the next day, it's so much easier to engage with the content that you're engaging with. And also, too, because a lot of folks, when they're doing business education, are paying for this themselves, whether it's traditional education or, you know, a non-traditional avenue. And they really want to feel like there was a return on investment. And so, you know, over time, there's been this increasing, you know, argument around uh, return on investment for education. And I think that's continuing to be a drum that's getting beat around, you know, the universality of what people are looking for. And utility is at least one component of that. So I would say learn in social environments and be highly relevant and applicable seem to be two things that are universal no matter where um, you go in the business education space anyway. There's a lot to unpack there, but one thing I just want to glom on to just because the name of this podcast is the NBA Insider Podcast. And one of the things that I often hear and see, a lot of times I'll talk to prospective students, current students or even alum, and they'll talk about the importance and value of the network of the MBA degree. And if you actually double click and, and really put their feet to a fire uh, and to get them to, to really explain clearly what that means or how it manifests itself or to give a specific example of it, it, in my experience, a lot of times does come back from that ability to learn from your peers, uh, to learn from their experiences, to get in you know, context feedback of, hey, this is how I saw this in my previous role or opportunity about accounting or finance or whatever it is, you know, within the context of hearing that from another classmate who might have an entirely different experience or 
uh, perhaps you never heard of that before and, and being able to get that was really valuable. I know even from my own personal experience, one of my classmates in business school, he was, worked for the, essentially the Korean Federal Bank, right? Or the Fed, the Fed in, in Korea. And just getting that context opened my eyes in so many ways to things that I had never uh, learned before. And so it's really interesting to me of what you said in terms of this social interaction piece, because a lot of times I think in our world, they talk a lot about networking, which has a significant value in terms of career opportunities, but it also really, I think, manifests itself in the learning environment from the ability to absorb what other people are learning, to get feedback, to put your own experiences within a larger context of hearing something else. Yeah, I could not agree with you more, and I don't want to take us off any kind of tangent here, but I want to underscore the point of the power of networking in the context of shared experience, right? So one of the things that makes networking sometimes cringy for people is they think about going to these, you know, cocktail events and walking around, you know, a large room or going to some Zoom, you know, so to speak, networking event and being placed randomly with folks. And yes, of course, you can meet interesting people in that way. And if you're a particularly effective networker, maybe you can build an entire network in that construct. But it is the power of shared experience that builds the best networks, the most strong networks over time. So, you know, we'll talk about MBA education for a minute. MBA uh, programs, by and large, at least have a better understanding of this than some other traditional programs do. You know, a lot of times in traditional higher education, the emphasis will be on the, the content, the emphasis will be on the instruction, the emphasis. And of course, those things are valuable, but the average shelf life of a skill now is less than four years. You know, what you learn at the day one or day, day seven of your first year in a four-year program is probably somewhat obsolete by the time you walk across the graduation stage. But what isn't obsolete is the network you've met, the people who you are now really bonded with because you've had this shared experience. And traditional MBA programs tend to, like I said, better than most other programs, recognize the value of that network. But even more so, there are opportunities for them to do so in a different way that I think would benefit people. Like the power of your alumni is the first thing, your friends, your network, your classmates, it's almost the first thing that comes out of any person's mouth when you ask them, hey, you did an MBA. You know, how was it? They go, oh, you know, people I met were amazing. And then they might talk about a professor or class or something, but it's almost universally this notion of the network. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to dig in real quickly just because I know you spent some time there. So as I mentioned earlier in your past, you did some stints at Babson, both across the MBA and the exec education program. As I hinted at earlier, in my opinion, they have been one of the leading innovators and pioneers when it comes to opportunities around business education. Would just be curious, what did you see or maybe learn from your leadership roles, either in developing or putting out new offerings or programs, or just in terms of coming up with new and creative ways uh, to meet learners where they are through business education? Sure. First of all, I tend to agree with you. Fatson is one of the more innovative places, one of the more, I think, highly applied and relevant institutions of business education out there. And I am undoubtedly biased, but I'm a big Babson fan. So for any of your listeners who are Babson grads, go Beavers. I did do two uh, stints at Babson, as you say. I spent almost 12 or 13 years in the MBA programs as associate dean of the MBA program for a while earlier in my career. And then I returned back to Babson just a couple of years ago to lead executive education for a couple of years. Babson is one of those places that has figured out to a large extent the power 
of hyper-relevant content, right? Especially in the spaces where they are the most well-known. So entrepreneurship being one of the spaces. And so what I learned while I was there, and I'll just draw upon my time as the um, CEO of executive education, what I learned was the critical importance of articulating the outcomes of education, especially when you're dealing with, but not exclusively, when you're dealing with executive audiences or people who are past the, the, the time when they're likely to have, you know, to have already gotten an MBA, because they are literally in the mid or senior levels of their organizations, they are leading their companies and in their teams every day. And, you know, the high degree of relevance that the content has to be useful, um, that they need to feel like they are getting great expertise. They are getting, you know, a really tremendous network from the engaged experience with Bobson in the executive education space is really, I think, a big part of what I learned about building Bobson education. The other thing that I will say is, you know, you need to have a sort of a product strategy and that product strategy needs to be aligned with the DNA of the organization. And I'll give you one simple Babson executive education example. And that is, you know, Babson's obviously known for entrepreneurial education, but executive education is a little different, right? And these are literally people who are executives inside companies. So they're not necessarily starting their own firms and doing sort of the traditional entrepreneurship routes. They're not necessarily being startup founders. But when we were building new products, we looked at the fact that there are a variety of things that you can learn from entrepreneurial leadership concepts that are applicable, whether you work at a multinational, hundreds of thousands of people kind of organization, or you were starting up your own firm. And so we, we leaned into that. So our areas of practice while I were there, while I was there, and I believe are still true today, seven months later, it was innovation entrepreneurial leadership, and then, you know, growth and scale, and then inclusive leadership. These are all things that were part of the DNA of Babson, but translated into a whole new context. Those people who were not going to be, you know, startup founders, for example, but instead were leaders inside of organizations today. I think those are great lessons and learnings from your time there. And it definitely gives a more holistic picture of, of Babson and what they're about. Uh, but now you're at the Morning Brew. And yes. you're the GM of the learning division uh -huh. at Morning Brew, the learning education business. And I guess what, this, you know, Morning Brew is a little bit different than what you were doing at Babson, <laughs> but certainly, yeah. again, looking at the totality of your career, totally makes a lot of sense. What excited you about this opportunity and what are you doing right now in this new role as the GM of, of education at Morning Brew? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there, I was excited about a lot of things when I was reached out to for the opportunity and of course, this is the first time Morning Brew has, has hired for GM of education. This is a brand new division within the organization. And that was part of what excited me because it was very much a startup within a startup kind of environment. And the proverbial sheet of paper wasn't totally blank. They had launched Morning Brew Accelerator prior to my arrival, which is an eight-week online course that teaches communication, operation, and innovation. But the future of education for Morning Brew was very unwritten when I arrived. And I loved that. I loved and was highly attracted to the notion of being able to build something, to being able to sort of start from scratch with a company that has a great brand, that has a very dedicated following of 6 million subscribers across all of their various properties, their newsletters. And so for me coming in, it was a really great opportunity to try to take everything I've learned from corporate roles and education roles and my time in, in media elsewhere and bring it together into the creation of, a, of an ecosystem of educational and professional development products that would support the Morning Brew reader and extend the Morning Brew brand. And to me, 
that was almost an irresistible set of qualities. And then the, the last thing that really drove me in was the people. I was having conversation after conversation during the interview process. And, you know, it was a group of highly energetic, very ambitious, bright people who had relatively low egos. And I thought that's what it takes to do a startup. And so I want to be in a place where I can be a part of that. And so what am I doing uh, to answer the second part of your question? So the Learning Brew team um, has been doing a few things since I arrived in August of 2021. Uh, the first thing is we tried to figure out how to fill up that sheet of paper, the proverbial one I was talking about a moment ago. What is our strategy? And we've essentially settled on a strategy for 2022. Remember, I arrived in late 2021. But for 2022, we decided that we wanted to grow the only product that we had in market at the time, the MBA, but we also wanted to augment that product with other complementary products in market. So we created the MBQ program and Q stands for quantitative. It's the business of numbers and the numbers of business. And then we created MBL, which the L stands for leadership. And we created some of these shorter courses uh, that are really deep dives into very specific areas like building an audience or personal finance um, as a way of essentially creating a portfolio of offerings that was, well, frankly, an alternative uh, to a traditional business education pathway. It would be pretty bold of me to say that it is comparable to a traditional MBA education because there's lots of things that traditional education does very well. But if you were to take MBA, MBL, MBQ, and a couple of our skill accelerators, you would learn about operations, innovation, communication, leadership, finance, and data. And we decided that those are the core, most important aspects of a, a traditional education, and we would deliver them in the morning brew way. And so we are, have been hard at work building the complementary products. We launched MBQ just last week. And we are launching MBL in June to what we are confident will be a very strong cohort of leaders. So we are working on sort of redefining business education. We like to call it business education without the BS. And BS is a bit of wordplay for a variety of different things. You might think of it as business schools. So sort of business education without the business school. Uh, you might think of it as business education without the Bachelor of Science, or you might think of it as what you probably thought of first, business education without the bull, and I won't say the rest of it. So that is sort of what we're working on. And then, you know, as we think about the future, I think, Al, really, for us, it's going to be about the best way to service mature, ambitious business professionals as they develop in their careers. And so that might be things beyond courses, but we're starting with, the, with these courses and we're excited about where we're at. There's a lot to dig in on there. And I'm going to try to take a couple things one by one because there's so much I want to ask you about and to talk about. But I think a good frame for all of this, because I think it will make sense, is let's just start with a grounding again for the audience in terms of Morning Brew. So really quickly, and feel free to correct me where I misspeak here, but Morning Brew started as a newsletter uh, in particular because at the time uh, there were not as many uh, friendly newsletters out there that were describing what was happening in business and economics towards a college audience which is why the original founders created this newsletter, which was a daily newsletter, which grew rapidly, originally just through organic growth and word of mouth, but eventually and scaled over time and became eventually nested under the Insider brand, which as many of you may know, they have properties like Business Insider and many others that are out there. And now, while in addition to having numerous subscribers to their original Morning Brew newsletter, they have a whole series of other 
industry and topic-focused newsletters specific to an audience or a role. Uh, and I want to frame that up as a way to kind of uh, think about how uh, interesting it is that they have also, you've also decided to create a education business. And I bring this up because I would love for you to talk about a little bit more about, you had mentioned part of your product strategy was to augment the program that you created, as well as to come up with these new offerings around it. And I would just be curious to know, how did you come up with these new offerings? My hypothesis is that part of why you're able to come up with these is because you do have a very diverse audience base and are able to kind of glean into what they might be looking for. But I would just love to hear how all of that comes together. Yeah, you did such a great job explaining the history of Morning Brew. And I'm really fortunate to have come to the company at a point in time where they are expanding beyond the inbox, right? So you're right. There's 6 million subscribers across all the various newsletter properties that are Morning Brew. But the Morning Brew executive team has been thinking about ways in which it can expand beyond the inbox for some time now, right? So there's now events and there is now commerce and now there's education. And it was a natural extension to some extent to move into education because, uh, as you say, Alex Lieberman and Austin Reef, the co-founders of Morning Brew, uh, started the first newsletter in the um, dorm room at the University of Michigan when they were both students. And the whole idea was that this would be a really sort of quick, pithy, fun way to inform people about business tech and finance news of the day for those folks that weren't particularly uh, keen on reading the Wall Street Journal cover to cover or, you know, the New York Times. And, uh, and, and then, of course, it grew very rapidly. And so, yes, we are absolutely uh, benefiting from the fact that we have a very large and very um, engaged audience who can tell us what it is that they're interested in and where they want to continue to develop themselves in their career. But education is an evolution of that information process, right? So first it started by informing and, and doing so succinctly. And then over time, it has moved into, well, information is good, but what if you want to go deeper? What if you want to engage more? What if you want to have something more experiential? And that's what the impetus for education as part of Morning Brew as a multimedia company now is. And uh, a second way that we, we try to decide about our courses and sort of what we think makes sense from a content or product strategy is that we also look to the place that our readers and others who are at certain points in their career are, and we try to anticipate their needs. So, you know, it's one thing to uh, ask your customer base what it is that they want. And there's that famous Henry Ford quote, right? That if, that if he had asked what his customers want, they would have said a faster horse. We do want to know what, what the customers of Morning Brew want, but we also don't want to just give them a faster horse. We want to also try to anticipate what they don't even know they need yet based on career stage and have that ready for them when they get there. So it's a, it's a little bit of both. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that down a little bit more. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring it, bring it to light is because if you are not following as closely as maybe you and I are about the business education space, you might be wondering to yourself, why would a newsletter get into the business education business? But I think what it speaks to and... I would be curious to just get your thoughts on this. As we think about just how people want to learn and grow, part of what they're looking for are uh, the most in-demand or, or knowledgeable experts that are out there who have the expertise, the experiences, the knowledge about what it is that they're looking for expertise, experiences, and knowledge on. And for a long time, I think, and still, we consider higher education or educational institutions 
uh, to be a bastion of that. And I still think that will continue. That said, in this new world, expertise can sometimes come from other places. And between the combination of the people that you have working at, at Morning Brew or the experts that you bring in, um, as well as the insight that you have on these individuals who I presume many of which probably would be curious anyway about thinking about other forms of education, there seems to be a ripe opportunity to be able to provide something, particularly because you can be so engaged with anticipating what people are curious about or what they're wanting, as well as actually having some data between learning what they're opening, learning what they're clicking on, learning what they're engaging with from a content perspective. Completely. And actually, one of the things that we differentiate ourselves on uh, at Learning Brew is the fact that our instructors are all expert operators. And mm -hmm. one of the powers of being a part of Morning Brew as a larger entity is that Morning Brew is a established organization that has been reporting on and discussing and sharing all the you know news that breaks in business and, and technology and, and finance and all the different you know sort of elements of of HR and all the things that are, are part of what we we consider part of our sort of domains and therefore we know a lot of the people who are leading the way in all those areas you know some of the best business minds some of the more you know impressive operators across various industries and. They know Morning Brew. And so, you know, Learning Brew as a subset of Morning Brew has really benefited from being part of a larger established media company with such a wide reach because we have a ton of uh, connections and network within our own organization that allows us to tap those folks for expertise, for insight, for, you know, the master classes that occur in all of our programs. And, uh, and these are content creators by and large, these are experts and they're deep knowledgeable individuals, deeply knowledgeable individuals, but most of them are not, you know, sort of college professors and, and there's nothing wrong with college professors. I've been a college professor, but our programs are taught by people who are actively leading inside organizations today and not by professors. And so it's a diff it's a differentiating point. Again, you know, there's benefit to both, of course. Sure. And, you know, I think the lesson there, I think to your point is that it is a differentiator and differentiators help people identify whom they're going to be a best fit for. And so that's right. I think it's a really valuable tool to have. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about MBA, the Morning Brew Accelerator. And for context, I had the privilege of sitting in on a webinar that you and your team put in last week that gave a little bit of an overview and a preview of just about what the MBA could be like and some of the cool and interesting elements of it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about just at a high level, the ethos of the MBA program, as well as if you could maybe drill into, and I'm looking over my notes here, a couple of things like board meetings, decision mm -hmm. dossiers, and the person or the personal board of directors and things like that, because yeah. those were the things that really yeah. stuck out to me. Sure. Sure. And they, these are elements, we call them pillars of our programs, and they aren't just MBA. So they, they're incorporated into most of our programs and they're really important. But MBA is essentially our business acumen course, our basic business acumen course. It's eight weeks. It's delivered virtually, but it's cohort-based. So you start uh, with a cohort of uh, fellow students at, at week one, and you stay with those uh, folks all the way through to week eight. There are certain parts of the program that are sort of when you decide, like we write our own textbook, we call it foundations, and it is what supports every unit in our programs. And it's written in the morning brew tone. 
So if you like our newsletters and you sort of like the pithy, funny, you know, digestible kinds of tone and, and, and wording, we use that in our content. So we take sometimes even dry business topics and we try to insert a little bit of fun uh, in them. And then we also have these things called decision dossiers. And those are the ways in which students in small groups put themselves into the shoes of a particular leader or a particular company's executive team and make certain decisions or recommendations. You might compare them to a case study, which a lot of people are familiar with. The difference between our decision dossiers and the case studies that you might be familiar with from your more traditional educational programs is that uh, we are focused on hyper-current content. So we do uh, a revision process on our case studies. We write about things that are literally happening right now. So a good example of that is we study on Netflix. You were at the event, and so you may have gotten a peek at some of the mini version of that case study. We rewrote that case study when Netflix in introduced gaming. And so between the first time they did the cohort, the first cohort that did Netflix, and the second cohort that did Netflix, it was shifted already because we wanted them to take into consideration the change in the Netflix strategy that was the incorporation of games. And so we keep hypercurrent. They're a lot shorter than a traditional case study. They are really powerful uh, experiences that are submitted in teams to a Morning Brews team. And we then fan them out to experts in the field that the case study was on. And those experts provide video feedback on the submissions. So that's the decision dossier process. But we also have another group that runs through the entire program, and that is the personal board of directors. And that is a different group from your decision dossier group. And that group is focused on career challenges. So there's a series of meetings over the course of the eight-week program, and there are some prompts for each of those meetings. But this group of students get together and they talk about what they're learning and how it is that it applies to their jobs or what challenges they're facing in their jobs and what they could learn from each other or the content that'll actually help them, you know, sort of master those challenges or address those problems. And so that's the personal board of directors. And then the, the last big pillar of our program are the, what we call the extracurricular sessions. These are the master classes that we bring in people like Kat Cole and Noam Bardeen. Kat Cole's the COO of Athletic Greens for people in your audience who don't know. Noam Bardeen is the former CEO of Wings. Um, Emily Anholt is the founder of COA. Alex Lieberman, who is obviously the co-founder of Morning Brew, and a bunch of other very high-profile speakers come in. We've had Indra Nui of PepsiCo. We've had Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. So we bring these people in who are current operators in their industry, and they augment the curriculum based on the unit topics throughout the course. And so that's sort of the, the process. And I would just say one more thing before um, I wrap up on, on what MBA is. The ethos of MBA is really about social connections, about hyper-relevant content, and about expert operators. That's really what it's all about for us. Like those are the defining aspects of our program. Again, a lot to unpack there. A lot of really great, a lot of really great things. And, and thank you for sharing a little bit more uh, context for folks out there. I think the the things that kind of stick out to me are, and they all tend to begin with the letter C. So I'll, I'll try to <laughs> summarize them quickly. So first off, it's content, right? And mm -hmm. that is certainly a bedrock of any education program. But in the case of what you offer, it is hyper relevant content that is up to date and moves at the speed of the market in the industry. And I think that to me seems like a really big allure. The second is uh, connection or community, however you want to say it, yeah. the ability to, to learn with and alongside other people. 
Uh, the third is context in terms of being able to make sense of my specific situation within a larger world, right? And being able to kind of bounce off of that and to then take that back into what I might be doing in my day job. And then the last one is career, right? Learning and career are always intrinsically linked in some kind of way, shape or form. And it just strikes me too, just in terms of what you had mentioned with the personal board of directors and being able to not just talk about learning, but learning within the context of your career or someone else's career in, in that specific group and to be able to, to piggyback and bounce those ideas off each other. One of the things that I've always believed that careers are meant to be a team sport, not an individual one. And so it strikes me as a great opportunity for someone to be able to parachute into those, not just think about what they're doing, but hear it, uh, other ideas about what the person next to them is thinking about or how they approached a similar challenge in the past. And certainly other things like having mentors and all that are still important and well and good. But I think there is a lot of going back to how well, you were saying in the beginning, learning is inherently social. Um, a lot of those opportunities come from, from these types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, you took everything I said and made it sound so much better. Uh, but thank, you for, thank, thank you for that. Yeah, that's, exa that's exactly right. You've hit the, the nail on the head in terms of the way we approach it. And it's not just MBA, it's NBQ, MBL, that all of the programs that we do are built around those C's, frankly. And it's a big part of the way we approach the promise, if you will, the customer promise that we make around the experiences, that there'll be, there'll be hyper-relevant content, that they will have a tremendous community building experience, that we will tie it back to their careers and that we will connect them in, uh, you know, contact specific ways with expert operators that help them understand how to do their jobs better every day. And it's really valuable, you know, sort of framework for, for thinking about the way we approach our, the course in program development, as well as the delivery of those experiences. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on to chat was because of the fact that you've had such both holistic and diverse experience working in business education in terms of seeing it from a number of different lenses, in terms of actually working in higher education, in terms of working in corporate, in terms of working in a startup environment. And so I would love to maybe just to hear a little bit of your unique perspective in terms of thinking about business education within the realm of higher education institutions today. So what's working and, and what are some opportunities for improvement? Yeah. Uh, specific and specific to the traditional higher education. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, I think uh, there is still value in a degree. And, and I think that there is pretty much no doubt that, you know, especially business degrees in particular are still used to some extent as a, can't think of a better word than sort of a gatekeeping element to the hiring process. So there's still power in having a business degree when you are going to, you know, look to make a make a move uh, in your career or get a new job or start out your career, whatever stage of life that you're in. And there's still a lot of power in that. And I think that business education in the traditional environment, in a, you know, in, in a college or university environment does provide this time, this, this sheer depth of experience over, you know, four or more years, depending on how long it takes you to get through the program where you're immersed in these concepts and ideas, where you're given a lot of opportunity to, you know, sort of see how it plays out for you um, because these are 14-week, 16-week courses, many, many hours, there's group work. And, you know, if you're dedicating four or six years of your life, um, either full-time or part-time to get a degree or two years, even if you're doing it fast in a two-year MBA, these are highly immersive experiences. And there's something very powerful about having that much space and time 
to really wrestle with the content, to engage in dialogue. So for students that make the most of their time in these programs, they join leadership opportunities, they network with their peers, they take advantage of the breadth and depth of experience of their, of their faculty, There's, there is real value in that, right? So there's value in the degree itself as a credential. There's value in the immersive, time-intensive uh, process of earning a degree. And I think that, that what higher education is doing well is they're moving in the direction of recognizing how important it is to be to have specific outcomes so that people are learning the things that they need to know in order to get to the positions they want to get to. So more and more higher education institutions are thinking about how what they are preparing their students for matches or doesn't match with where their students want to go, right? Do you want to, if a lot of your students want to go into finance, are those students that make it into finance prepared based on the education? And so more and more I think there's a recognition of traditional higher education environments that they have to be a little bit more practical in is their content, is their total experience preparing these students, these graduates well for the careers in which they are going to go and, and build. And sometimes in the past, there's been too much of a disconnect there. And that's you know been a problem where you've got all these college educated people, but they would you know, land in these various roles and, and not have what they need to sort of hit the ground running. So I think colleges are getting better at that. And in terms of what I think colleges and universities might need to do a little bit better, you know, there's a few things. One is I think the reality is that unless you are a top tier school, those places like Harvard or, you know, Stanford or Yale are always going to, I think, have a place in in higher education in the landscape of, of of traditional higher education. But if you are, you know, sort of not one of those schools, if you are on, on a different school, let's take Babson, for example, since I'm so familiar with it. Babson, you know, not an Ivy League school, but it is a school with a very clear and specific mission, right? It develops entrepreneurial leaders. But I think if you are in the non-Ivy Leagues, non-Seven Sisters, non-elite schools, the more you can focus in on the value proposition you're bringing to your students, the more you can focus on, you know, I am a school for entrepreneurship. I am the best school for, you know, um, some other specialty, some area that you want to focus in. I think the more clear you're going to be able to, clearly you're going to be able to articulate to uh, prospective students why they should come to your institution. So I think Essentially, higher education marketing has to define the product a little bit better for most schools, right? Because uh, the ROI is always going to be a question if you go below the, you know, sort of the, the Ivy Leagues, for example. The second thing I think colleges and universities need to do better is, alum is in alumni. I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity with alumni. And I think most colleges and universities don't have a clue how powerful that is. I mean, they say they do. There's lip service to it. But the reality is, is that, that that's one of the most amazing benefits to most colleges and universities, that they have thousands and thousands of people who have gone out into the world from their institution, and that if they cultivated the right kind of relationship with them, those people could be tremendous assets to the university or the college in the future. And it's not just for the purposes of uh, philanthropy, which of course is important, but it's for giving back, it's for keeping the, the content relevant, it's for engaging with students, it's for hiring students of the future, it's for all these ways. And then the alumni themselves could see their institutions much like we see some other institutions in our lives. Like if we have 
a lawyer, that lawyer might fall, you know, be the place we go every time we have a law issue over the course of our lives. Well, wouldn't it be cool if every time you had a need to learn or upskill, you automatically went back to your alumni, to your prior school, right? Wouldn't that be so cool? What an amazing opportunity for continuing education. And I don't, I'm not convinced um, that most uh, higher education institutions have tapped that enough. Yeah, absolutely. And even just to kind of put it in perspective, I was recently uh, talking with a school where they do have an alumni career department that has over 100,000 alum. And just even like if we were, obviously a higher education is not necessarily a uh, traditional kind of you know public corporation or even private business for that matter. But if we were talking about any company that had 100,000 customers that could potentially be engaged, we would be salivating at that opportunity to figure out how do we find opportunities to deliver value in exchange for value, right? So I absolutely think that there's there is something there and I'm, I'm excited to see what folks come up with because I do think it is an untapped you know, opportunity to uh, invest in. And I do think there are some schools that are trying to figure this out, but we're very much in the early stages. And speaking of the early stages, would love to maybe have you prognosticate a little bit. What does the future of business education look like, regardless of higher education or other forms? Would love to know what are you, what are you seeing, what do you think is going to happen, or what are you even excited about in terms of the future of business education? Well, for one, I think it's getting more competitive. And I don't think today that, let's say, my work at Learning Brew, I don't think today I'm competing with folks that, you know, I'm not competing with Babson or, or Harvard or those aren't my direct competitors today. But it doesn't mean that they increasingly won't be for some segment of the population over time. And so what I'm really actually quite excited about is I think business education is going to be democratized a little bit over the course of the next several years. There's going to be an increasing recognition of the fact that there's not just one way to get the skills and experiences that you need to go to work in um, a company. And I think that that's both a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing in the sense that competition is almost always good. You get faster, better, cheaper products, you know, so that people can get more value for less time, less money in a highly competitive space. But I also think it can be bad if there isn't enough education, I guess is a better word, uh, for the consumer to understand what it is that they really want and what it is that they'll really get, right? So if you really want to have the power of a degree behind you, then you should not be uh, a learning Bruce student. But if you, for whatever reason, don't need a degree, but you're really looking for you know, the best value for your money and your time to upskill in a certain core area, then Learning Brew or some other alternative education provider like it would be a really good choice in many ways. And so I think, you know, more choice is good, but more choice means that the consumer has to be more educated about what they want and what they hope to get out of an experience. And I think that's part of what's going to continue to evolve the marketplace of business education. I think those are great insights. And certainly from my perspective, it is an exciting time to be in the space. And I am very much excited that more people will have more choice to find the learning opportunities they need uh, to get to the career that works for them. I'm Karen Ebert Mercaro. Thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing a little bit about your past experiences and all of the interesting and exciting work that you're up to as the GM of education at Morning Brew. If people want to learn more about what you're up to or learn more about Morning Brew or MBA or any of the other offerings, where can they go or where can they find that information? 
Yep. So you can check it out at learning.morningbrew.com. And uh, there's a ton of information there. And you can always find me on Twitter or LinkedIn and send me a message. I'm in both places. So it was a great pleasure talking with you today, Al. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.